Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 45 of Ask the CEO with Avraham Gatile. Today, I'd like to introduce a very special guest. He's an urban farming entrepreneur. We're Roots, urban farming accelerator that runs for a full year before selecting a new cohort year after year. Before becoming an entrepreneur, he studied accounting in college and worked in the field for a few years. Later realizing he wasn't really happy where he was, he decided to find passion for cooking and growing food. And very coincidentally, discovered Square Roots, which at the same time was planning to start their first program ever. He's on a mission to bring real food to New York and eventually the world. Why ship our food thousands of miles when we can grow right here and right now? It is my pleasure to welcome the one and only Jonathan Bernard. Welcome, Jonathan. What's up, guys? <laughs> hey, how are you today? I'm doing good. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. I got to tell you, as a fellow New Yorker, I must say I'm really excited to meet you. You know, going on a macro level perspective for a moment, think of the impact to the world at large. If we can significantly cut down on needlessly shipping food all over the place, and we can Absolutely. just grow food right here, quite literally in our backyard. Yep, exactly. Um, it's pretty crazy stuff. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, I've seen uh, some of the pictures of uh, what goes on there at the indoor farms. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Paint us a picture. What does it look like? So we have 10 shipping containers, and each shipping container itself is its own farm. Um, so you essentially have lights throughout the entire shipping container. You have these towers that the plants will grow vertically in. Uh, and then you'll have a drip irrigation system running down the entire farm that will drop water down the backs of the towers and hydrate the plants. Um, so essentially you have this crazy farm in a box in a 40 foot long shipping container that can grow uh, 50 pounds of food a week of different types of stuff. So it's insane. It's unbelievable. And this is in a building in New York City in a warehouse, right? Yeah, it's in a parking lot of the old Pfizer factory in Bed-Stuy. <laughs> so. that's beautiful you know i've seen pictures of some of these indoor farms and imagine home depot with shelves from floor to ceiling yeah. and shipping containers or or i don't even know what they're what are they called where they grow the food in um there's a lot of different ways that's being done right now and so aero farms is a big farm in new jersey it's doing something that looks like it's home depot where they have <laughs> different layers of stuff as you go up in the air. Um, and there's so many different kinds of uh, models like this happening all around the world right now. Um, and the one we're using is inside of a shipping container with these specific towers and then plants will be growing every foot, you know, in that tower. Wow. So you really maximize the space. Yeah, absolutely. So that's cool. So you have this rainmaker machine, right? That, drops the water down yeah. and you've got the grow lights and you also have the vertical like almost like sheets of plants growing right yeah so essentially you know hard when you're growing traditionally in land outside you can't grow vertically for the most part um whereas like when you use a tower like we have you're able to get maybe eight to 15 times the amount of stuff growing in that same area that you could only get you know, one plant in before. Mm. 
Yeah, and of course, in a place like New York City where real estate is at a premium, you have no choice. You have to maximize every every square inch. Yeah, every nook and cranny. So. so how does it work from a management standpoint, just keeping track of all the different plants and all the different needs? So there's a ton of crop planning that goes on. And essentially, you could be growing something that takes eight or 10 weeks to get to harvest. Um, so you pretty much need to know when you plant the seed, what, you know, what space it's going to be sitting in, in eight to 10 weeks. Mm -hmm. um, you need to know everything about it. And so farming in general has a ridiculous amount of planning involved. Um, so I've definitely learned uh, that, I mean, becoming uh, fluent in that kind of planning uh, since joining. It's like uh, the old saying, measure twice, cut once. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, so you, okay, so you start out by planting the, the different kinds of seeds and where they grow. Now, different types of crops have different kinds of growing seasons or, or uh, yeah. to maturation, right? So yep. how, how do you fit everything in, in that respect? So you want to, so essentially different plants are going to have way different growing conditions and climates. Um, basil likes very different temperature and humidity than, uh, let's say, like a lettuce or kale or anything else. Um, so, you, so one of the ways that we do it, having 10 farms, is that you can basically pick a climate and specialize in that climate. So you can find things that grow well in a humid climate or in a very cool climate um, and basically you know, grow those types of things. And then we as farmers can look to each other and trade between us. Oh, wow. That is so fascinating. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah, so you have your different geographies in a box, basically. Yeah, essentially. So you can replicate any climate that exists in the world. Um, you can have temperatures that are 90 degrees. You know, essentially, if you wanted to grow, let's say you went to Italy in the summer of 2008, and you really love the taste of a spe uh, specific kind of basil, you can get the very seed that you had in Italy, um, and you could grow that in here using the same climate. So you could essentially get the same product that you had years ago or any time in history. Wow. And how do you manage the different climates in, in the same room? I assume that you, know, you don't have a million different rooms in New York. No. So for the farm, it's a pretty consistent climate within, which is the biggest, um, you know, biggest benefit that we have is that it's a nice small space, but you can grow so much in it. Um, so yeah, we can really maximize the yields within a very constant temperature and humidity and, and let's call it a zone. But if let's say I wanted to grow something that requires 90 degree sunny temp you know, temperature and no humidity. And then right next to it, you've got something that has, uh, you know, cooler <laughs> preference. Uh, how do you do that if it's in one building in one area? Um, if so in the shipping containers, you pretty much want to, to stick to a particular climate. Although a lot of plants will survive like lettuce can do warmer temperatures like 85, but it can also, you know, it really does well at 65 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, so you can pretty much grow a lot of things together. There's not many things that won't grow well together. Um, but if you're in uh, a bigger space, like a warehouse, it does make it a challenge. You'd want to close off each room and have different temperatures. Okay, got it. Now, 
do you have any systems that you work with uh, that monitor the, 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 all the different variables like climate and humidity, water? Yeah, so we have a system in the farm that actually connects right to the iPhone. Um, and you can uh, download the app if you have a freight farm or a container like we do. And the app is called Farmhand, but essentially, you probably can't see it, but you, can, uh, you have essentially a live camera all the time so you can watch your plants. You have temperature controls. You can turn the lights on and off. Um, you can adjust for humidity, carbon dioxide. You can change the pH of water. Um, you can really control the entire climate of this box, and you can do it anywhere in the world. It's really cool. Hold it up to the camera again. Let's see if you can see. Yeah, yeah, it's showing up really nice. So that's your that's your app and you could I could actually see look at those cool neon lights right there. Yeah. Right? You could see you could see the growing oh there are the shipping containers right there. Yep. So those are that's one row of towers to the left and then another row to the right. Wow. So Let's say there's a problem, right? There, um, I don't know, the temperature goes off. Somebody hit a button with his elbow, right? <laughs> you get notified? Does it? Does yes. It, okay. So, you can, so we've set notifications based on what we want to be alerted on. So we're really worried about you know, high temperatures that are going to cause a plant to, um, it's technically called bolting, but essentially the plant um, get, in flavor, it'll get very bitter. It'll be, you know, it's not something you'd want. Um, so you can adjust for temperature. Humidity also has a major effect on plants. Um, you know, the pH of the water is everything too. So we have settings that'll like alert us to either we need to get in the farm and fix something or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I imagine that's something that would be very important because like you said, it could really change how, how things are affected. Yeah, for sure. So Jonathan, it's really fascinating what you're doing. How did you get started in all this? Um, so it probably started when I was very, very young, uh, watching my mom garden and being raised year after year. Every summer, we'd basically plant strawberries or berries or any kind of um, you know, tomatoes in the backyard um, and also learning how to cook straight from her. And... Uh, maybe five or six, maybe seven years ago, realizing I have like this passion for working with food. Um, I love cooking it. I love experimenting with it. Um, and also the same thing with growing it. I always wanted to try new things. I think one of the first summers I started gardening on my own, I used straw bales to garden, um, which essentially you're taking a straw bale and you're, you're wetting it so it's nice and moist. And then you're, fer you're putting fertilizer into it and you're making it just like a soil composition, except it's great if you're in a city or somewhere where the soil is not so good. So that was pretty much the start of this all. But at the same time, I was studying accounting, working accounting full time. Um, and I never, ever expected to be doing this full time. Yeah, most of us entrepreneurs don't quite expect us to <laughs> be doing what we end up doing. But that's the beauty of it. Absolutely. So Jonathan, what was your decision like when you decided, you know, I think I'm going to try uh, urban farming? Um, so Square Roots came around at a very perfect time in my life. Um, I was working in accounting, but I was also taking the CPA exam 
and I was not doing very well on it. Um, I've never been that good in school and I never really enjoyed it. Um, so sort of, I would, you know, be studying, working, but every chance I got, I would find myself in the garden or in the kitchen cooking. Um, so basically I was very, um, I was just looking at myself and saying, what are my strengths? You know, uh, if I'm not enjoying accounting, I know I can make the same amount of money doing something else, something I can enjoy. Um, so basically looking at myself and trying to figure out what to do at the same time squares came around. So it's pretty much a perfect mix of things. Really nice. And I just got to say that has got to be the coolest name. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. They, um, so Square Roots, I don't know if your viewers know, but Square Roots was started by two people, Tobias Peggs, who's the CEO here in Brooklyn, um, and Kimball Musk. And essentially, they wanted to start this real food revolution, um, and they're responsible for sticking the 10 shipping containers down in Brooklyn. And essentially, in November of 2016, um, almost eight months ago, eight or nine, they chose us 10 entrepreneurs to run 10 containers. So, and each one of you run a different kind of crop, right? Yeah. So we can grow anything we want, but we basically specialized in ways that either fit um, our specific customers that we've um, become accustomed to over the last nine months and, uh, or based on what works in our containers versus other people's. Nice. And how do you find these customers? How do you establish yourself? That was the really tough part. Um, that was the beginning. Uh, I have to say we failed a lot. I think every single one of us had an extremely tough time finding, figuring out what we're going to do with all the produce that grows, uh, which is like the weird thing about this is that you can grow so much food, but you, you do have to do something with it. So you kind of got to make money with it so it can for <laughs> the next round. Exactly. So we, we had to figure that out and essentially each entrepreneur, um, well, Square Roots advised us a lot. They mentored us and they really showed us how do we get customers? What, you know, what is a good strategy? So a lot of us came up with what our interests are. Um, so for me, I've always been into sports and, and being an athlete um, it's like that connection with food, uh, growing up not so healthy, um, sports and becoming an athlete kind of got me out of that. I started cooking a lot more. Um, so for me, it was like I looked at these nutrient-dense plants and I said, who's going to get the most benefit out of them? Probably the people that their performance depends on it. So that's pretty much how I found my customer. Beautiful. You know, that's like uh, the way Gary Vaynerchuk opens up his book, Crush It, Live Your Passion. And that's awesome. <laughs> Fantastic. So, Jonathan, what keeps you motivated every day? Huh, that's a good question. Um, I, think, I think being in an amazing program like this is you can look at it a lot of different ways. You can look at it and say it's extremely challenging. Um, we've never been done before, you know, like, how can I solve it? Or you can, the way I look at it is that we had 12 months to basically do anything. We have access to all these connections and mentors and resources. So for me, that is like crazy. Like I look at that and say, 
you know, there's literally nothing you can't do in this sort of environment. Um, so I would say that definitely motivates me a lot. For sure. I can definitely see that. Thank you. <laughs> so, you know, as an entrepreneur who's gone through the cycle of failing and then learning how to do it the right way and building a business. So, you know, the statistic that many businesses fail within the first year of business, where do you think entrepreneurs go wrong? Um, uh, definitely focus is important. So especially in a program like this, you can do anything you want really. Um, but I learned early on that if I had like, didn't focus, you know, nothing substantial is going to get done. Um, and I think it's the substantial stuff that really pays the bills and keeps the whole entrepreneurial machine running. Yeah, I can definitely see that because if you, if you're spread out and doing a hundred different things, you're not really putting all your energy in on that. Yeah. It would be impossible um, for one person. I mean, we're essentially growing our food. We're selling it. So we're making relationships all the time. Um, we're also keeping track of all our sales. We're doing the social media and promotion of our company. Um, you know, Squirits does give us a lot of resources, but uh, for it's, it's essentially one person. So if you're not focusing, uh, it's got to be five times harder than it should be. Mm -hmm. And you only have so many hours in the day. Definitely. Definitely. Great. Now, Jonathan, if you could rewind the clock, let's say 12 months, would there be anything differently that you do? Um, I would, oh, if only I knew what I knew now. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think I could have made my situation any better because I had a lot of problems in the farm with things growing. Um, and we've come a ridiculously long way just in getting the plants to get from seed to harvest and not have all these complications. So, but I would say focus more. Um, and if uh, I could have figured out the growing conditions and the technology a lot sooner, that definitely would have helped. But yeah, focus, just focus, focus, focus. That's great. That's fantastic. <laughs> so, you know, this is really amazing what you're doing. Where do you think you'll be taking this, let's say, in five years from now? Uh, that's hard to say. Um, I, there's a lot of different roads that are stemming from Squirts now. Being an entrepreneur, going through this experience and, and loving it, um, I think... I definitely have an interest in starting my own business. Um, but I, I am also aware that 24, almost 25 years old, I have so much to learn, so much to see. Um, so I may, you know, look for mentors, look for kind of learning new things at the same time. Um, so I'm not absolutely certain, but I think that this industry it will be massive. I mean, like being able to feed people directly in the cities where we live, um, just finding out how you do it is the hard part, but once you can, it's incredible. Absolutely. And that is very wise words that you spoke because you want to look for people that's doing what you're looking to be doing and they're, you know, a little further down the road and they could mentor you. Sure. Absolutely. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Fantastic. So Jonathan, what do you like doing for fun? 
Uh, <laughs> so well, this is not it. <laughs> I, this is a lot of fun. I mean, I love what I do every day, but ironically, I love being outside. So even though I'm in the shipping container most of the time farming, I love the outdoors, um, going for runs, uh, you know, doing sports, being active. Um, but I mean, I love cooking as well. So there's like these two dimensions to it. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I spend most of my time doing. Beautiful. So just shifting back to business for a minute, who would be an ideal client for you? What kind of customers are you looking for? So I would love to work with professional athletes, people who are looking to consume uh, or looking to improve their performance um, and basically their career, depending on their performance um, and being able to give them nutrient dense leafy vegetables, um, basically a solution uh, or a very natural way to um, live better, to perform better, um, and yeah, and I would love to get into that world. Fantastic. So, you know, one of the things I was thinking of when you were talking about uh, doing networking, think of health coaches. Oh, yeah. They would be, they would be a perfect connection for you because you guys are synergists. Yeah, definitely. I mean, health coaches, dietitians, um, anybody, you know, doctors, anyone who give me um, real feedback and, and, uh, and studies and information on how this can really help people. Um, I mean, I see it. I know that these are incredible vegetables um, and the flavor is just out of this world. So being able to get like a backing behind it and a community that, you know, um, has tasted it, they can vouch for it would be incredible. And one thing I just want to say for all our listeners here, the thing you just said about the taste so I've had the pleasure of growing my own vegetables as well. Uh, oh, yeah. My outdoor, uh, little outdoor garden uh, during oh, yeah. the summertime. I got to tell you, if you haven't eaten freshly grown cucumbers and tomatoes and squash, you've never tasted them in your life because what you get from the store, there's no comparison. Yeah, out of this world. <laughs> Jonathan, we got so many questions from the audience because this is such a fascinating topic. So the first question I have is from Toby Ruckert, who's the CEO of intelligent IoT messaging company Unified Inbox in Singapore. Wow. So yeah, you've got a fan all the way across Singapore. the world. Oh yeah. my God. <laughs> all right. So Toby's got a couple of questions. So he asks, how do you explain IoT to farmers being of a very different personality in relation to their profession? Um, well, um, going to assume he's talking about traditional farmers. Um, I would say there are a lot of things that farmers, but there are a lot of reasons why farmers do what they do. And I think a lot of the industry um, uses a lot of the chemical fertilizer and things they do because like the pesticides, because essentially when you're, when you're a farmer, your income basically relies upon your crop getting from seed to harvest and being able to sell it. Um, so if you were to have uh, a pest that wipes out your entire thing, you're not getting paid till the end of the season and you're not going to also make money because your crop is destroyed. So I think that's one of the biggest pain points for traditional farmers. Um, if you can attach uh, technology to basically help monitor or 
you know, better confirm to a farmer that they're going to have a secure harvest and an income at the end of the year. I think that is ridiculously valuable. Um, I think farmers are some of the most intelligent people. I mean, they come up with ridiculous solutions to uh, huge problems, essentially feeding everybody. Uh, so I think if you can, uh, if you can answer that pain point to them, I think they'd be really interested. I love the way you worded that because, you know, we tend to think of farmers as primitive old world professions, but no, they, they are very intelligent and they yeah. use in technology. Yeah. Yeah. I think most people are just so disconnected and it, um, it's not their fault. It's, it's just that they're so disconnected from the food system that they don't actually know their farmer. They don't know really, you know, what happens before it gets to the grocery store. Um, you know, like the two weeks it spends on a truck or, um, or just all this other crazy stuff. And so it, um, it's cool to kind of what we're doing here. People can kind of know their farmer. They can text me, they can ask for whatever they can come take a tour like that. It's just an incredible experience to give that to someone. Yeah, absolutely. It's something that most New Yorkers don't really get a chance to do. Yeah, definitely not. (laughs) So uh, as a follow-up question, so you know how you were showing off your app that you use to control the different systems. So Toby's asking, do you think farmers would prefer apps or maybe something like a chatbot where they could communicate in natural language uh, with, uh, with their IoT devices? Mm, I think... A chatbot would be interesting, but I think a lot of the problems with chatbots are they, they don't, from what I've seen, they don't necessarily solve a lot of problems. Maybe they, that miscommunication that can occur might make things more complicated. Mm. But I think, um, because essentially in our farm, we, we, want what, we want the data we want, um, and it's more of a need than a want. So you really need to, you know, if you're going to, do it. I think it needs to be the right way first. Agreed. Would you be able to think of any kinds of use cases where people could, let's say, um, use a chatbot to communicate with their crops or animals in natural language? I don't know. I'm familiar with um, the Amazon Alexa and using... um, you can program different uh, skills into it and things. So I'd be interested. I actually put one into my farm. So I'd be interested to see how you can connect it through that, um, making some skills through that. I mean, if anybody has ideas out there, I would love to test some things they build. Um, but yeah. For sure. One more question from Toby. What are the most urgent situations farmers need to be alerted of immediately if and when they happen? Um, so us farmers here, there are a couple of things that, are devastating to us and that is if the temperature gets too high or too low but usually too high because of the lights um, you could destroy a crop pretty easily and sometimes you it's irreversible Um, so everything can wilt and so that's one of the big things a huge thing is pests so we want to keep the bugs outside the containers and we want everything to grow nicely inside so we don't have to use chemicals or um, or anything really Um, so if, I mean, it doesn't exist as far as I know, but if there was something that could monitor for pests and um, use maybe machine learning and 
and uh, uh, AI or virtual reality, probably AI, um, that would be a, a lifesaver for us. Beautiful, fantastic. And just one of my own questions, have you ever found anything limiting with perhaps that you wish that it could do, but it just doesn't do? Um, there are, it does have limits to it. Um, a big problem that, I mean, I feel like would be the easiest to solve is connectivity. And a lot of times the app is down. Uh, so that is something that really limits knowing what's going on in your farm and, and having a secure mindset. Um, but you can't do everything on the app that you can do in the farm. So you are limited a little bit. Um, uh, Give me an example, like one, one thing that you could only do locally. Well, one thing you definitely have to be in the farm is to take the towers off the hook and actually move them around the farm and, and do a lot of your work and to inspect it. Um, hopefully in the future, there'll be something that allows the towers to move sort of like in a laundromat where, um, or a dry cleaner center where the, you know, everything is moving on a conveyor belt and you can hang it up and just, that would be a dream for me. But Wow. That's an amazing idea. I think, uh, I think uh, you hit up there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, so our next question is from Ken Heron. He's the chief marketing officer of the same company, Unified Inbox in Orlando, Florida. So Ken says, hi, Jonathan. As farmers are often on very tight budgets, what specific agriculture IoT use cases have the highest ROI? Um, so it's hard to say. Um, I know that when you're growing lettuce or you're growing kale and different things and, uh, and the market rate is very low for those things, it's very hard to say what is going to help a small farm like this. But any kind of assurance, I guess, would be extremely valuable. Like what we were just discussing. Pest control. Yeah, even to really fully know that um, all your settings are proper and that if something's off, you can definitely fix it. Hmm. That's great. Okay, our next question is from Sanjay Jane. He's an IoT investor in New York City. Cool. So Sanjay says, I'm wondering if the food grown indoors submerged in liquid nutrients is comparable in nutritional value to food grown in soil under the sun. So he says, we know exactly what goes into liquid nutrients but the soil is probably much richer in nutrients than liquids. It may have microorganisms, micronutrients that are absorbed by the plants and assist in plant growth. Some of that is definitely passed on to us. I'm worried that if I eat food or plants grown inside, I may be missing some critical stuff. I don't want to wait 20 years and, and just leave my intestines to find out what I've been missing. Uh, and then he says, also, are there any tests you can run in the lab to ensure nutritional equivalency? Sure. So for, well, for the first part, um, soil, traditionally building up soil takes, it can take up to 10 years. So there's a lot that goes into soil um, that I, as far as I know, we don't fully understand. Um, so you, it's definitely um, using fertilizers inside the farm like this. It's very hard to say that that is um, you're replicating exactly because I, I don't believe so, but I'm not, uh, not fully sure of it. Uh, 
But as for nutritional values, we actually sent in for a lab test and we got the results. Um, and they're pretty much identical, maybe a little bit more protein, um, a little bit uh, different in calories, and, but very slight differences, uh, but essentially equal to the freshest of what is grown outside. Um, so now I'm interested to see, to get a comparison of comparing our nutritional analysis of the stuff we grow to um, what is grown outside, but also to what is grown, what is sitting on the shelves in the grocery store um, and seeing the real difference. It's been sitting there for two weeks to see where the nutrients have gone. That is a great point, right? Something that's been sitting on a shelf for two weeks versus something that was just picked today. Yeah, exactly. That's a great so. Our next question is from Gabor Borjan. He's the CEO of ThingBlocks in Budapest, Hungary. Wow. So you've got fans all over the world. You have some awesome guests. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So Gabor says, as somebody who really likes to make everything that is possible at home instead of the industrial products, I really like this idea. And he says, I like to make various very, very hot sauces, chocolate bonbons, soy milk, etc. So my question regarding Square Roots is, today, as you have relatively small space to grow your products, it is very easy to monitor the parameters. How do you plan to handle if, let's say, you scale and your space is much larger? That's a really good question. Um, and I also love the homemade stuff. And I love like creating new things. So. Um, I don't know where he's from, but if he ever wants to come visit, I would love to talk to him. So when you're in a shipping container, each one is a small space. So if you were to put 10 next to each other, 10 on top of those and so on, you can monitor each one through the app and you can get them all on the same page, um, container one through 10 through 20. And so it's super easy. Um, in a bigger space, the use of AI would be crazy. I mean, it would really revolutionize everything. Um, just having that kind of control because you're dealing with maybe acres worth of stuff, even in a greenhouse um, that it's just for, you have to have such an experienced farmhand out there checking everything. Um, it's going to change completely. So I know there's some systems that do a really good job. Um, there is Gotham greens here in Brooklyn on top of the whole foods and they have a really uh, large facility. So um it's being done with greenhouses, with hydroponics. Uh, I would love to see what ways it can be improved and what people have ideas about. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I love the way you say that because this is really, it's a learning experience. The in industry is just uh, developing with IoT technology. And, you know, yeah, let's uh, see where we go from there. Definitely. Some good questions. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So the next question is from Ronald Hiller. He's the CEO of BLX. It's uh, an advanced agricultural automation company in Homedale, New Jersey. Okay. So Ronald has some comments and questions. He goes, off the top of my head, here are a few reasons for indoor agriculture. Number one, it's fun and a good learning experience <laughs> for children. It's great for kids to learn where their food comes from. These types of farms or gardens don't need to be economical, sustainable. Transportation costs are minimized since food is, food is grown close to the point of consumption. 
trust is enhanced because again, food is grown close to the point of consumption. So now Ronald says, I have a hard time believing people that say indoor agriculture food is cheaper to grow. This is especially true when artificial lighting is used since that accounts for significant costs, also real estate, et cetera, are orders of magnitude more expensive for an indoor farm. How is the particular indoor agriculture business different than a traditional greenhouse? Those, those have been growing cucumbers, tomatoes, a variety of other vegetables for a very long time. Greenhouses control the environment, but rely mostly on natural light. Many do supplement with artificial light, but greenhouses typically have only a small number of layers so that plants are exposed to natural light. So is indoor agriculture just a new term for greenhouse? So indoor agriculture can be a lot of different, it can look like a lot of different things. So it can look, you can have the LED lights, you can have fluorescent lights, but you can also have um, greenhouses. And as long as it's, um, you know, there's different ways to get light in um, and get it to the plants. So it really varies. Um, even though we use LEDs here, uh, I'm a big fan of natural light and being able to use, to give the plants what they've been used to for thousands of years. Um, the big benefit of growing indoors is you have a lot more control of the climate um, and, the, and the pests that come with it, as long as you control for that. Um, but he is right, the cost of um, lighting does make it a lot more expensive to produce than traditional where the sun is a free resource. Um, but you are using, we estimate about 90% less water than traditional farming. You're recycling it throughout the system. Um, and by growing vertically, what you can't really do outside um, unless you have the similar towers, you're able to get a lot more yield, which will bring down the price. Um, so you essentially have a cost of maybe $1,000 a month in electricity, um, depending on where you are through the country, it's probably less. Um, and then how much you can produce will determine the price of the good. And you know, I'm also thinking you cut down on shipping. Absolutely, you can take a bike directly to your customers, it's incredible. And you know, something that you just said um, just gave me an idea as well. So imagine you put up a solar array you know, on the yeah. of your building and absolutely now you, now you got the sun as a free resource again exactly if you can do that you cut the cost in half so fantastic one more question from ronald um you just like to know some more detail on the crops that you're growing it seems that salad greens and herbs do well since they're compact and relatively high value plants exactly um so i a lot of a lot of the farmers here are just doing things based on their market, um, not necessarily compact or anything else, but you want things that are typically smaller plants that um, can grow, you can grow a lot of them. Um, and, uh, and then you can kind of dive into whether you want to do specialty. Um, here in New York City, there's so many markets and we've essentially created a bunch of markets um, so there's not really limits to what you can grow and then what you can push out into the world. I think there's so many cool things you can do. Um, one example is I was growing broccoli leaves, broccoli greens for a long time, and customers love them. 
Um, they never had them and they would ask for them week after week. So I, I'm a strong believer in that there's like no, um, when you're doing something cool and new like this, there's no set rules. Do you grow cucumbers? Oh, we tried. Um, I know that they work. They just take up so much room that it's, uh, it's not the most economical. But they're so cool if you can do it. Cucumbers are so much fun to grow because they just grow all over the place. And like we oh God. get sticks, like, you know, we put sticks and then strings and watch them grow up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> strings and you got all these cucumbers from all over the place. It's ridiculous. Even uh, in here, we were growing cucumbers and they would take up uh, three towers to the left, three towers to the right. And it was just, uh, it was a mess, but it was so cool to see. <laughs> Um, okay, our next question is from Adam Wolf. He's the CEO of Arable Labs in Princeton, New Jersey. Are the hardest parts to learn and teach about agriculture, technical as in how to do it, cultural, how to relate to others about it, or economic, how to make a living at it? Depending on who you are, I think it really, that will change. Um, because economically speaking, I'm, I can understand economics and business like pretty well. So for me, that wasn't the problem, but, um, even culturally speaking, uh, translating it to customers and, and sort of, you know, learning how to build those relationships. I really enjoy that. Um, I would say my thing was technical. It was learning these systems. It was understanding really understanding at the simplest level what humidity will do to a crop what the temperature will do what like what these uh, nutrient levels mean um, and being fluent in that understanding so i think it really varies depending on who you are and your background great answer our next question is from gary jean lewis from rockland county new york gary says would you ever go back to the counting field why or why not oh <laughs> that's a good one i uh this is definitely i would go back because um of how tough entrepreneurship is and when you're making your own and we have so many resources here to help us so i just like to be able to do a certain amount of jobs and get paid for that um is incredible compared to when you're selling lettuce by the head. I mean, it's like, it's a different ball game. Um, but I'm, I'm addicted to this. I think this is incredible. Being able to make your own future, your own choices. Um, you can, you know, work as hard as you want, but it's like how you're working and, and what actions you're taking, your focus that are going to determine at the end of the day what you go home with. So I love this. I don't know if I'd ever go back. <laughs> Great. You know, you're a true entrepreneur. <laughs> so our next question is from Nush Khan, key account manager with Unified Inbox in Singapore. So Nush asks, what do you think the biggest challenge is when it comes to the adoption of IoT in the smart agricultural industry? On the part of the farmer, as long as I mean, if a farmer can really test out a product, I don't think he'd be against using it. But I think the, the incentive for a company to focus on how to protect or how to make lettuce a better crop, I don't think it's there as much as protecting marijuana or a lot of these more profitable crops, much more profitable. 
I think it's pretty much on the companies to the farmer rather than the other way around, um, not being interested. Mm. So those people that are developing agricultural related sensors um, would probably want to look out for uh, marijuana growers. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, and there'll be a lot of business in that field in the next 20, 30 years. So. For sure. <laughs> um, all right. Next question from Nush is, what are your views on developing nations and their initiatives towards automation and farming? Uh, and what can a government or organization like yours contribute to making technology adoption for farmers more seamless and cost effective? Um, I think, uh, well, I mean, government subsidies are definitely a great benefit because traditional farms um, get a lot of subsidies. And it's actually how a lot of farms even survive um, because it's so difficult for farmers. Um, So I think that, you know, subsidy or grants from your city, your town, um, your state and your country um, in funding would be incredible. And I think that if truly applied in a way that um, the farmer is learning from the systems and you're able to really collaborate and do things that are so cool, um, I think you'll really make a ton of progress. Um, You'll be able to feed a lot of people a lot easier. Um, And this is a great model of that. And even though this is not um, backed by um, government subsidies, although we did get loans from the USDA. Um, uh, Essentially, we have 10 farmers and we can all collaborate on all our findings all the time. Um, And I think that if I had just gotten a container on my own, I don't, I know that I wouldn't have learned even a 10th of what I have now. Our next question is from Agnes Vassier from Risk IQ in London, England. So she says, that seems like a brilliant venture. My question is, how do you ensure continued growth without failing in a fad trend trap? And where does IoT come in? Um, one good way is making it economically feasible and, and running a good business. Um, so not competing on a, com- on a commoditized scale with just regular organic soil-grown produce, um, but you know, establishing there's a massive difference and building a customer base maybe with, in terms of these containers, maybe with one container rather than someone going and buying two, four, eight, or you know, however many containers. I think really scaling up as you get that demand is valuable. Um, and then we've been able to test the waters here and make sure that there really is a demand for this. It's not just a trend. It's something that people truly want um, that knowing your farmer relationship, I think, is valuable. Yeah, I think really testing the waters before you, uh, you jump too much into it, I think, is a really safe and smart decision. Our next question is from Carl Hornet. He's a QA tester with Spotify in New York City. So Carl says, I would like to know if you can draw learnings from large-scale automated farming when implementing IoT in small-scale farming. And Carl's referring to an article that was talking about getting autonomous uh, tractors for large farms in order uh, to scale. I think so. I think it's a really smart way of going about it. Um, just because in a small setting, things are very controlled. So you can almost get an optimal environment, optimal um, like 
in terms of lettuce, right? You can watch the growth cycle on an optimal head of lettuce um, and you can analyze everything about it. And then I believe you could scale up into bigger farms, um, you know, not really jumping into the waters and getting overwhelmed because on a huge acre, two acre, 200 acre farm, um, you're in the middle of so many more variables than you would be elsewhere. So I think really setting up a foundation um, where I'm sure many farmers would love to work with people who want to create products, be hands-on. I think um, it would be uh, a marriage. Of, it would be beautiful, I think. Great. Jonathan, I know you're a busy guy. I'm going to let you go <laughs> just a bit. Uh, but just before we do, how do people connect with you? Oh, so they can reach out to me on Instagram where I'm going to post most of my photos and do, um, and you know, they can keep up with me. So if you go on Instagram, you search square roots, Johnny, J O N N Y. Um, and you can also check out the new company that I'm building now called street leaves and you can go to streetleafs.com. Um, and essentially it's something I'm trying to create with a partner of mine. Um, to be this sort of solution for, uh, you know, straight to the customer um, and so many more things. So um, definitely follow me there. And uh, I'd love to connect and talk if you have any questions. Beautiful. I'm going to put that in the show notes so people can just click right on there and get right to you. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, fantastic. So, Jonathan, do you have any parting words of wisdom that you like to share with the audience? I would say... If you have a passion for something or if you're not in love with what you do, um, and this is especially applicable if you're young, I would say go for whatever your dreams are um, and, and, you know, figure it out and take the leap. And if you can't do something, find people that can help you on your journey. But I think that um, this experience has been ridiculous. Like I'm so grateful for it. So I, I, I'm confident that um, if other people feel that same passion, go for it. Beautiful. Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us today, sharing your wisdom. Thank you. Audience and answering everyone's questions. I really enjoyed having you. All right. Thank you. It was awesome being on the show. Thank you.